Hello, welcome to James's pre-fight, post-fight MMA show, where we recap all the important things happening in the sport of MMA, and I, your host James, try to explain to you what's going on in the sport and make it as easy as one, two, three for you to understand. We hope you enjoy the show. Amadeus, Amadeus, rock me so, Amadeus, Amadeus. Rock me so, Amadeus, Amadeus. Rock me, Amadeus, Amadeus. Welcome to the show, everybody. Welcome back. I hope you've had a nice, you've been having a great summer so far. And that you've been doing things you want to do, that you've been spending time with the people you want to, but most importantly, You've been watching two men or two women competing half naked in a cage octagon. So we're gonna first recap um the Derek Bronson versus Edmund Shabazian fight. Then I'm going to preview uh Derek Lewis versus Alexio Linick uh fight. Coming up this Saturday. So let me just get up the card first. And um, this card, the card coming up, not the most stacked card, you know, some fun fights, some uh, fun names, kind of similar to the one that previously just happened between Brunson and Shabazian, but nonetheless. I am an obsessed, I am a sad soul, and I will stay up whatever time I have to stay up to watch the whole thing. So first we have, we're going to start with, I think we'll start with, um, in what I like to say, order of excitement, whatever gets the blood boiling for me. Joanne Calderwood versus uh, Jennifer Maya, the co-main event. Jennifer Maya wins with uh four minutes and twenty nine seconds in the first round via armbar. Um, you know, not s- totally surprised that Jennifer Maya won. I was surprised it happened in the first round that it happened fairly quickly. Uh you know, Joan Calderwood showed some promising things like her kicks from the outside, uh her her you know, her catching the kick, tripping Jennifer Maya, taking her down. But I did think that if any second in this fight where Jennifer Maya gets on gets it to the mat, wherever she'd be on the bottom or the top, she was going to be in an advantage. Before we get into that, her armbar finish, you got to know also that Jennifer Maya uses a very heavy volume style attack, very boxing heavy. You know, John Calderwood, she prides herself on how good her Thai boxing is, how good her Muay Thai kickboxing is. But, um... Maya, you know, putting together combinations, landing very well on John Calderwood's head. Calderwood um, taking the shots. You know, she's not known for good head movement. That's one thing people got to know is like um, people, like my friends always say, how come no one just does uh, straight up Muay Thai? Just forget about the boxing since boxing is in Muay Thai. The thing is, is that you don't get to learn like good head movement, for work. I mean, there's good Thai boxing trainers who teach that, but it's not that common. So, and Calder was kind of like the, I want to say like the stereotype of a Muay Thai fighter. And then she kind of was getting desperate, I would say. As soon as Maya kicked, she caught the kick. 
took her down. You know, catching kick is a great time to take somebody down because they're on one leg. You just trip that leg, it's fairly easy to get them down. Uh, ends up in Jennifer Maya's full guard. Jennifer Maya goes from triangle. Uh, you know, jo- Joanne Calder tries to defend, defend, defend. And then boom, she transitions to the arm bar. She gets the finish. Fairly simple uh, finish. Very effective though. You know, she shows great dexterity of her hips. And when I say why that's important to throw up submissions... Is because you always, your hips should never be facing the opponent square. You should always be trying to angle out. And some fighters are very good at it, some aren't. And, you know, Maya, in her past, she shows that if you take her down, she's got great dexterity in her hips and she will go for the armbar. Next fight to move on to, Vincente Luque versus um, Brandy Ruboy Brown. I'll be honest... It hurts to say that Randy Brown got knocked out. He lost via KO um, 4 minutes 56 seconds into the fight. Into round 2 of the fight. It kind of hurts to see that he lost. You know, I always root for Randy Brown, fellow New Yorker. Uh, great um, striker. Uh, one thing that was very telling, and I really want to get into this because it's kind of becoming more and more common in MMA, is that Vicente Luque, even though he was at a... I believe he was at a reach disadvantage. He definitely was the shorter man. Uh, you know, every time Randy Brown has a very boxing stance where he's very bladed, meaning his shoulders are behind each other, very sideways stance. And every time, and he has a great jab, and that would be great against Luke because Luke himself, kind of like Jennifer, uh, Joanne Calderwood, excuse me, doesn't move his head a lot. But um, the. Like, every time he threw in the jab, and people got to know this, when you watch boxers, right, every time you punch into range, your leg will always be there to be kicked. It's pretty impossible to do that. There's been some fighters who try, like, we discussed it before, uh, Max Holloway versus Alexander Volkanovsky. Um, in the first fight, every time Max Holloway, the way um, Volkanovsky really chopped down on the leg of Holloway, was Holloway was trying to come in with boxing combinations. And just like Randy Brown, he does have a brilliant jab as well. Meaning that his jab's fast. He comes in different speeds. He really uh, steps forward with the jab. So he's not stepping. It, it, the jab is great to step into combinations. Because if you just step in close to somebody during a fight. They know you're going to try to hit them or do something, right? But when you use the jab, it disguises you getting closer. Or it disguises your offense is about to begin. So Max was trying to do that, and then every time he stepped in, Volkanovski would uh, hit him with a brilliant right leg kick. And it's a great time to hit it because the guy is stepping. If you imagine this, when you step, right? You're sitting down right now, let's say. You take your left foot and you step forward. Step forward. Try to step forward and bring it up. It's, it's a lot to do. And then the person's timing your step. And it's very difficult to step and then check a kick. So, um, that Volkanovski versus Max is a great fight to watch. And so is this Randy Brown versus Vicente Luque fight. Because um, Luque, you'll see every time Brown steps in with his left jab, boom, he'll throw the leg kick. Every time. You know, Brown is very skinny. And, you know, he's not skinny. He's, he's, a, he's a very buff individual. But I'm just saying that he's a long, lanky individual. His legs are very skinny. 
And, you know, uh, Luke Hay kept chopping down those legs. And then uh, Brown ended up getting desperate. That's how he got knocked down the first round. Because he was trying to put combinations together. Make it more about boxing. But the thing is, I thought is that that's the part of the fight where I said, it's going to come down to who's more durable. And Brown, every time he wanted to answer that question, he showed that he couldn't take the punch. And Luke could take his. And then the second round, Brown made some good adjustments. You know, he started uh, fighting against the cage. Perhaps the bait for Sensei Luke not to kick, but to start to exchange with him. Then Brown did some creative stuff. Like he would go to the tie clinch, rip off some knees, which he had good success. Uh, throw combination striking. So then uh, if, say, Luke were to kick his leg, boom, uh, Luke has to eat three or four punches. But the mistake I thought he made was... Um, he started moving his head against the cage. You know, it kind of looks like this old boxing drill I enjoy where you're up against the ropes, up against the cage, whatever, up against any wall. And then you're just focused on using your head movement. And Brown was trying to do that a lot. But if you move your head, you know, you're always susceptible to somebody just stopping your head with their hand. You know, this isn't boxing where you can't really grab somebody. It's MMA. You commonly see it like guys like Tony Ferguson does it. Well, he'll be punching, punching, you're throwing out the jab, the guy's moving his head. And then as he's moving his head, he anticipates where the guy's head's going to be and just puts his hand there. And you you can transition to chokes and different types of stuff. But um, Brown put his head so low, and then Luke grabbed it, boom, knee to the head. Uh, very um, very smart by Vicente Luke. You know, post, put his hand on top of uh, Randy Brown so it doesn't move and then hit the knee. Uh, very intelligent. You know, probably for Sensei Luke, one of his most vintage performances. A guy who, you know, as I said before in the other podcast, very, very underrated fighter. Good skill set, good jiu-jitsu, decent wrestling, great striking, very durable, good hands, good leg, good kicks everywhere, um, good cardio. So, hope to... For him, I hope to see uh, him fight a ranked opponent, possibly Michael Chiesa. I think that will be a great fight for him. A winnable fight for both guys. And for Randy Brown, maybe perhaps see him fight Mike Perry. Somebody who's a little bit... You know, this is uh, Brown. The big deal of this fight for him was that he was going to finally fight a ranked opponent. And if he won, man, that would have been huge. Be Vicente Luque. Not a lot of people get a win over him. Perhaps for Randy Brown, I'd like to see him fight... Uh, Maybe Anthony Rocco Martin, who's also ranked like number 15 outside the top 15, or Mike Perry, one of the two. That would be a, a fantastic fight, I think. And a great performance by Luke Kay once again. The On to the main event, and I have a lot of thoughts on this one, to be honest. Uh, Derek Bronson versus Edmund Shabazzian. Uh, many thoughts. One, that it's a three-round fight. But, and Shabazzian got tired. It's something to worry about. Um, for me, that comes with experience. Because you look at his fights, basically all of his UFC fights, besides his UFC debut, which was a split decision against Darren Stewart, were all first-round finishes. And you got to think, like, every time he fights, his body is used to just being there, exploding for, like, you know, four minutes or something. And Brunson, you know, the first round looked kind of hairy for Derek Brunson. I know a lot of commentators like Dominic Cruz were saying, oh, Brunson's not really going for it. He's just trying to weather the storm, let Shabazzian tire himself out, and then he'll take over. 
I didn't think that at all because Derek Brunson was eating some big shots. He was throwing some very committed kicks, very committed punches. And to me, I thought Shabazzian, every time he was hitting, he was going for home runs. But uh, Derek Brunson, you know, his um, wrestling game is fantastic, but he doesn't usually use it to finish people, to knock them out, to submit them. And one big tell for me... For how this fight was going to go was when Derek Brunson went for his double, uh, double like, you know, he's known for high amplitude takedowns. High amplitude meaning, like, when somebody falls, it's a big slam. It's not, like, a little trip or anything like that. And Brunson, he goes for a signature double leg where he goes against the cage. He has um he has his arms wrapped around Shabazz against two legs. And then he... Then he... Puts his fingers together. He claps his fingers together and lifts up Shabazzi and slams him down. And one thing that was kind of like a big no-no for me is Shabazzi. And I understand why he did this. Instead of fighting for underhooks, instead of putting one arm under Derek Brunson's, one of his arms, he decided to hit him with elbows while getting taken down. And you can knock people out. There's been a lot of fights like that where you can knock people out in that position. But, and he's knocked people out before using that. But the thing is, is like the danger, even if Derek Brunson can't keep him down, which he wasn't able to in this first round, even if Derek Brunson can't get a submission off, he's getting you tired. You're trying to explode to get up. And if he were to dig under hooks, defend the takedown, he would prevent all that. And to me, he was more worried about finishing Derek Brunson than defending himself, which kind of comes from the fact that he's fighting a guy who's, who's going to give him some resistance in the first round, at least. That was kind of a big tell. Because then the second round, Derek Brunson did the same thing. Got a single leg. Started, uh, you know, going uh, pushing him against the cage. And then Shabazzian decides, oh, I'm going to punch him. I go, you, you know how unlikely it is to knock somebody out while on one leg? So that kind of shows me his kidneys experience. You know, if he was a little bit more intelligent, he, was, he would have probably tried to fight for underhooks. Uh, worry more about his balance. Grab Derek Brunson's head to gain more balance. Instead, he was deciding to strike. Also, one thing he did that, you know, in Shabazzian's defense, I thought he was doing brilliantly is his body shots. He was really ripping to Derek Brunson's body uh, very well. And, you know, maybe it could have taken a toll, but he wasn't going to it enough, in my opinion. And every punch he was throwing was just haymaker after haymaker. Not haymaker, I'm exaggerating. But they were definitely there to knock Brunson out. And some of them weren't being caught on Brunson's chin. They were being caught on his arms and things like that. And then the big turning point was Shabazzi and his footwork wasn't as explosive. So he couldn't avoid the famous Derek Brunson left hand. Derek Brunson still does the dumb mistake where he leads with his face, for, face first. But the thing is, is that he throws kicks behind it. He throws a jab. So now it's a little bit harder to just catch him throwing the left hand like before. Before, he used to just throw the left hand. So basically, every time he throws it, you every time he moves forward, tries to be aggressive, you could kind of bet on it's going to be the left hand. And then the second round, you know, Shabazian in half guard. Derek Brunson starts throwing elbows. Uh, Shabazian's cut. The clock's ticking. You know, he could survive. He kicks Derek Brunson off, but he looks like he's almost out. Doctor comes in. Uh, in the beginning of the third round before the fight starts, restarts again. Uh, Chavazian says he's okay. He can move on. Derek Brunson does a brilliant move, in my opinion. He ducks, 
fakes the take, kind of makes Shabazi think, oh, I'm going for the takedown. Then, boom, he explodes to the left hand. Shabazi takes it right on the chin, goes for the double leg, slams Shabazi on his back. Starts to grab, Shabazi shows his back, and then Derek Brunson just, uh, after like two or three strikes, Herb Dean stops the fight. Basically, the stoppage, in my opinion, was a perfect stoppage because in the second round, Shabazi's getting hit a lot. He's getting cut open, you know, it's a lot of damage, but he's still showing he's in there, right? You don't want to take away this opportunity from this young fighter, but you still want to watch out for him. So then, you know, he kind of goes back to the corner, a little questionable, staggering a little bit. And then Herb Dean's like, you know, I'll give him a chance. This third round, if he shows that he can kind of compose himself, then I'll let it go. Third round, shows that he can't do it. Herb Dean stops it immediately. And I thought, um, great performance by Derek Brunson. You know, he was able to mix it up. Uh, that's one thing I kind of disagree with the commentators, uh, specifically Dominic Cruz. Like, Dominic Cruz is brilliant, in my opinion, on how he breaks down guys. But the thing is, he was saying, like, oh, Derek Brunson, this one makes him such a great fighter. that like he's able to mix it up. You know, Brunson, a lot of times he would go for the takedown, couldn't get the takedown, come up, throwing his left hand, left straight, left hook, left uppercut, and then go back to the takedown. But the thing is, is that that's something he's never done really in his career. He'll always be just punching or he'll be just wrestling. So, um, but a great adjustment by Derek Brunson. Brilliant. Uh, adjustment that he's made that I could really see him go for this title shot. He could be realistic about his title aspirations. And that's three in a row for him, which I think is great. Um, for me, the opponent I would like to see him fight is Darren Till. Um, interesting spot for both of them. Darren Till coming off a loss against a number one, possibly a number one contenders fight against Robert Whitaker. Um, where uh, Till looked great. Um, Derek Brunson obviously looked great. He only won, and for Till really tests him against a guy who has a lot of power and Derek Brunson, and has a um, great wrestling background, which is what I would prefer to see is Till versus a wrestler. Especially a middleweight. And then plus, uh, you know, one mistake against Darren Till, you're going to get knocked out. So I think for Derek Brunson, if he could really get past Darren Till, show that he's really made the adjustments he needs to in order to fight for the title. So now on to this Saturday's Lewis versus Olinik card. So... As I said before, this card is not the most bang for your buck card. But don't worry, it's not a pay-per-view. So, I'll be tuning in. I want to just break down the fights I believe that um, seem to be the most interesting to me, at least. Benil Dariush versus Scott Holtzman at 155 pounds. Um, Benil, so, this is an interesting fight. Benil Dariush, I believe he is a ranked fighter. Yes, he is. Versus Scott Holtman, who um, I believe used to hold a ranking. And but all you got to know about these two is that Benio Dariush is 31 years old, 18 and 4. He's 5'8". Uh, he has a 72-inch reach. Brazilian his original background is uh, Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu. Uh, he comes out of Kings MMA, which is very notable. The Kings MMA trains guy has trained people like Leota Machida, Anderson Silva... Javier Dos Anjos used to train there. Kelvin Gastelum trains there. So a lot of guys with great strikes. A lot of grapplers. A lot of jiu-jitsu. Um, excuse me. A lot of uh, Brazilian jiu-jitsu practitioners. Very high-level grapplers. Who became very good strikers. Uh, they were a great gym to turn. Um, and they're very heavy on sparring. So a lot of people have a lot of experience when it comes to striking. 
Got Holtzman comes from a great camp as well. MMA Lab in Arizona. Uh, those guys are great. Uh, every fighter who comes out of that gym always has great boxing, great kicks, uh, decent enough wrestling. Their, uh, their cardio is always up to par with what they want at the gym. He's 14-3. and three. He's 5'8". He's the same height as Dayush. 69-inch reach, so he will be at a reach disadvantage. So, one thing to know about these two is that uh, for Dayush, I would imagine his advantage will come with his submission game. And he's very crafty. He, he's willing to go for arm bars. He'll backpack you, meaning like when he has the hooks in and you stand up, he'll commit to still go for the rear naked choke. He... But one and then he has great elbows, great uh low kicks, very heavy kicks, very good um decent enough boxing. Uh one problem he's shown in the past is sometimes he'll get a little too aggressive. He'll uh get hit and then he'll come back at you hard. But besides that, he's a pretty intelligent fighter, very well rounded, one of the more underrated fighters I would say in the USC roster. Um, I just think that's because people question, you know, there's been some fights like the Edson Barboza fight where he got knocked out with a flying knee, Alexander Hernandez where he got knocked out with one punch where they question his durability. Um, I don't think he's not durable. I mean, I saw, I got to see him live in person when he uh, fought his last fight against um, Jakar Close where he got a little bit rocked and then he um ended up pushing forward, pushing forward, landing punches, and then bang, he landed one big shot on Jakar. Um, and that way, I guess it's good. He intelligently was aggressive, right? He was moving his head, things like that. Um, that's where both of these guys are kind of cuffed in the same cloth. Holtzman, very good at wrestling himself. Uh, I wonder if he is actual MMA, if he uh wrestled Division One or anything. But besides that, uh, he has a brown belt in jiu-jitsu. Haven't seen him a lot on the ground. I mean, he does have very good wrestling. Like, he could just take you down whenever he wants, it seems. Oh, interesting. He doesn't have a wrestling background. Look at that. So, but... And he has very good boxing, very good combinations, very good hands. He does have a tendency to get caught sometimes, though. Which could be a danger against Dariush. Also, you got to look at the level of experience. Scott Holtzman, I, I've watched a lot of his fights. He's a great fighter, very exciting. He, he's beaten some good guys like Jim Miller, Nick Lentz. I don't know, he lost to Nick Lentz. But he's been in there with guys like Nick Lentz, Dong Young Ma, uh, Daryl Horcher. You know, some decent guys, guys outside of the top 15. Um, so, you know, they have some, uh, you know, great... Um, he has some great competition against some people, but Dariush has fought the cream of the crop in Jakar Close, Michael Chiesa, Edson Barboza. Many of these guys ranked or barely ranked. Um, but I got to look at that Holtzman's very good at fighting behind his jab. Has a very good one-two down the middle. Uh, good hooks, uppercuts, very good footwork. I know his coaches, I've seen them work uh, in person. They have very good strategies for like um, fighters who are going very, very wrestling heavy. Like strikes are safe against a wrestler, things like that. Also, I gotta imagine the leg kicks for both guys are gonna play a big part. Uh, Dariush has very heavy leg kicks, but Holtzman has very precise leg kicks. He'll go to the calf, which if you touch your calf, you touch the meaty part, you squeeze really hard, it kind of hurts a little bit. 
And, um, you know, guys who kick there are so sensitive, a lot of nerves. It just deactivates your ankle. It's hard to walk, hard to kick on it, hard to get power on it. So that could play a big part of the fight. But for some reason, my pick, I think, is going to be Dariush. But it's hard to see how he wins. Like, I don't think his wrestling game is good enough to get down Holtzman. Personally, I just think he's going to land the bigger strikes. I think he's going to hurt Holtzman at certain points in the fight. But... I think it should be a unanimous, you know, a decision for uh, Benio Dariush. I wouldn't be surprised if Holtzman, uh, you know, gives him a lot of trouble. Perhaps uses his wrestling to win some rounds, uh, things of that nature. A very exciting fight, though. I'm glad. Uh, kind of a fight that snuck up on me a little bit. So the next fight, I wish to speak about is um, Chris Weidman. Excuse me, Omar Amakovev. Excuse me if I'm not saying it correctly. I'm not fluent. Versus uh, Chris, the All-American Wyman. Uh, this fight, you know, if, if you know me personally, you know I was always a big fan of Chris Wyman. Particularly because how creative his... Uh... So let me get down. I'm sorry about the novelties. Let me get down to the technical stuff. Then we could talk about my thoughts. Omar Amakovev, 32 years old. Six feet tall with a 73-inch reach. He formerly comes from Eagles MMA. And why is that important? It's because that's where Habib, the lightweight, UFC lightweight champion, Habib Nurmagomedov trains at. He used to train there for most of his career. And then he left to train an American top team. So he has a very good wrestling game. Very good um, grinding style against the cage. Not exactly like Habib. He likes a lot of slams. Like... You know, kind of like Derek Brunson. He'll put his hands together, clasp the hands, go for a double leg and slam you to the ground. Very powerful guy, very thick guy. He's on a four-fight win streak. Um, he's a former UFC welterweight. He's bounced back from middleweight to welterweight, but he was known as a welterweight for a long time. But he's a very thick guy for welterweight. Can't believe he actually used to make that weight successfully. Um, and this is... Uh, and then Chris Wyman... Six feet tall, 36 years old, 78-inch reach, and uh, trains out of law MMA with Matt Serra and Ray Longo. Um, you know, this fight's tough. If, Like I was saying before, if um, you know me personally, uh, you know that I was a big fan of Chris Wyman at one point. And you know I'm still a fan of him. Uh, particularly for the reason that he's so creative with his game. In terms of, you know, he's a, a former... You know, I talk about Makamov, how good his wrestling is. Wyman's a former Division One, two-time All-American and also a two-time All-American in Greco-Roman wrestling. So, meaning upper body clinch, he could do throws from there. You don't see it that often, though. And uh, he's, and I feel bad for him because his game is so creative. Like, when you overcommit to a right hand, bang, he goes for a takedown. Um, you know, he's very good at pressuring people, moving forward, cutting off the cage, making the octagon feel small, pressuring you to throw a punch, then he goes for a takedown. And the great thing I always wanted to talk about is that he'll go for takedowns when you're off balance. So, like, for example, Amakov, and this could work in this fight, Omari Amakov, he likes to go for these big, wild right hands, left hooks, and, um, you know, you're off balance when you're throwing every bit of might into it. And Wyman, he's very good at ducking in and while you're off balance going for the double leg that's why it seems like his fights like it seems so seamless his wrestling and then plus he's one of the very few people who actually make a single leg work in mma not meaning that single legs isn't good i, I think they're very good there's a lot of people who've pulled them off daniel cormier damian maya frankie edgar 
a lot of people. But the thing is, is like Wyman, he's very good at, you know, establishing distance. He throws a lot of jabs. He feels like the legs in front of him. And then bang, he just goes for it and then drops you on your butt. It's going to be difficult to go for those type of scrambles against Amakov because Omar Amakov shows that when, at least in the first 10 minutes, if you go for a lot of wrestling attacks, he's very good at the scramble. He's very good at getting up. And he's just hard to take down, period. You know, he's a tank of a man. Um, one thing to know is that Amakov is coming is on a four-fight win streak. Wyman, he's only one in five in his last six fights, meaning he's only won one fight. And the thing is to know... Which is weird because the betting odds say that Wyman started off as the underdog and now he's turning to the favorite, slight favorite. But he said, you know, there's things that are to his advantage. One is that Amakov has never fought anyone this high of a level as Chris Wyman. Chris Wyman, which he does point out, is he's only lost, this is his first fight he's fighting where he's not fighting somebody in the top five of a division. You know, his last fight was against Dominic Reyes, who's a hard hitter, showed that he could be the next light heavyweight champion. Just fought John Jones. You know, I thought he beat a John Jones. A lot of people thought he beat a John Jones. So, you know, Reyes is definitely no slump. Then he lost to Jacare Souza. Jacare Souza, former Strike Force champion. And by the Chris, at all points in the fights, have shown that there's ways for him to win. It just seems like, besides the Dominic Reyes fight, he'll be winning the fight, winning the fight, and then boom, he loses in the third round. I don't know what's with him. I personally think it's going to be, I'm going to talk about it very soon. It's about his fatigue and he gets tired. Um. Then he fight. He fought before that. Kelvin Gastelum, but she had a great fight where basically he took Gastelum down and he made the ground transitions last. Meaning, um, he didn't get, like his um his opponent didn't get right back up. That's one problem I think with Wyman's game is that he'll take the guy down, rush to try to get a good position, get ground and pound, get a choke, and then he'll rush, rush, rush. He'll be tired. The guy will get back up, and he doesn't win the round. Right, like it just lasts like a minute at most. Gaslam fight, he was able to take down Gaslam and then well, be on top of him for four minutes, landing ground to pound, which like, he has to go back to. Not just for this fight, but for every fight in the future. Then he fought Musashi. He was winning the fir- he won the first round, winning the second round. In my opinion, he was getting tired, and then he got lazy, went for a takedown. Musashi snapped him down, meaning he put him in the front headlock. And then need his head and his whole debacle was legal, was illegal. Then they uh, made Musashi the winner of the fight. Then he lost to Yoel Romero where he won the first round. Uh, barely, you know, he probably lost the second round. But you, I can see why people said that he won. He could have won the second round with his takedowns against an Olympian. But once again, takedowns that didn't last, didn't put Romero on his back. Wasn't able to make him stay on his back. Wasn't able to burn time on the clock. On top of somebody. And then boom. Romero hits him with a flying knee. Very similar to how Masvidal did it against Ben Askren. Then he lost. The first fight he lost to in this losing streak was Luke Rockhold. Which Rockhold back then. And I still, I still think Rockhold's very good. But back then I thought man. He just has a kryptonite of a style against Chris Weidman. And Chris once again. You know kind of similar. He got a little tired. Got a little desperate. Threw a wheel kick. Which you can kind of tell that like, he doesn't. Do a lot of spinning strikes. And then Rocco takes him down and gets on top of him and just lays massive ground and pound. So the common theme in all these fights is that Chris Wyman, besides the Dominic Reyes fight, is that Chris Wyman, he does really well at least the first seven minutes and then he starts to drop off. He starts to get tired and then he starts to rely too much on certain things like his wrestling. Or in the Jacare fight, 
You know, Jacare is marching forward, landing hard body shots. Weidman's doing extremely well, you know, landing very good jab, which I think he's going to have to, he has to use this fight. And a very good right cross, which would be a benefit for him to use in this fight as well, because I'm Hakamev, where Jacare was um, coming forward and then Chris was getting so tired, he decided, I'm going to stand my ground and exchange with him. And then Jacare, the more heavy-handed guy, hits him and knocks him out. So you can see that Wyman is very good at, you know, he, he's able to carry a very good game plan that his coaches laid before him. But then he starts to get tired and he starts to get lazy. This fight, it's hard to say because Amakamev hasn't knocked anyone else since 2013. So he's not a guy who's known for, like, legit knockout power. But in this case, I say with Chris Wyman being knocked out and all his losses, he kind of has to, he cannot disrespect Amakamev's striking. Chris Wyman's chin may be so diminished that he needs to still, you know, be defensively sound. But one thing that has going for him is that Amakamev, if he puts him on his back, Amakamev hasn't shown the greatest uh, guard game, greatest game of getting up or using his jiu-jitsu. But he is very good at just standing up and using his strength in his wrestling. And one thing Wyman has to watch out for is that Wyman's had trouble with taking guys down against the cage. Meaning, like, he's good at taking them down, but then the guy gets right back up against the, using the fence. And Amakamev is excellent at that. You know, American top team fighters are very well known for using the cage to get up. They have, like, this whole system behind it. And uh, Wyman, he, in my opinion, what he has to do is be patient. Take his time in the beginning of the fight. Use his distance. That's one thing I wanted to point out in my notes. Wyman has a five, at least... um. He has a 5-inch reach advantage, very long for the division Wyman. Big shoulders, long arms. He has an excellent jab. He's very good at pumping the jab very quickly. And then he'll do a staggering jab, meaning like he'll pull the, he'll push the punch. So the punch will be, his arm will almost be fully extended. The guy would think the punch is coming, stop moving, and then he would fully extend. It's not the most amount of power, but he's great just to catch the guy. And then it blinds them for a little bit. Also, he has a, Quick jab, he's a stepping jab. Uh, he's very good at slapping. He has a left hook that kind of slaps. And then it kind of slaps the guy's head or his arm. And it puts the guy right at range for his right cross or his right hook. He's very good at that. That would be very useful against a Makarov. He has to use that distance and range. He also has to use his um, push kicks, which he does in his fights most of the time. Also, um, for Amari Makamev. Uh, for my opinion, guy uses light kicks. Try to take down Wyman, possibly. Get him tired out. Uh, fight him against the fence. Push him back. For Wyman, I think you gotta be um, most worried about you. You know, you. I believe Wyman has a better submission game than Amakamev. Uh, more crafty submission game. He has to be defensively sound all the time. He can um, pull out of exchanges with his hands down, his hands away. I know that he's been in great shape. He's been training with his brother-in-law, Stephen Thompson, for this camp. That's another factor I want to talk about is that Wyman, you know, Matt Sarah and Ray Longo have been very concerned about the coronavirus, which they should be. You know, they have the right to be. You know, they're a little bit older. They have families. I could understand that. And I know that they've had a couple fighters in law MMA who uh, didn't have them cornering. So I question, is his chief corner even going to be there to support him right what if he needs to make adjustments somebody needs to snap him back in so i, I don't even know who's going to be in this corner and if you're betting if you're choosing amari makamev against chris wyman 
basically you're saying that Wyman's shot, that he's doesn't have what it takes. He does have the skills. He's one of the most skilled fighters in this division, if not the UFC. Um, you know, he has great striking, like I said, great distance control, great distance punches. He needs to fight off of his fakes. Uh, Makamev, every time he sees a little thing in every fight, he just goes swinging for the bleachers. He's not the most precise guy. He hasn't been able to hit anybody with it, but you never know if you get caught with those, you could go down. So Wyman has to use his fakes, get a Makamev thinking he's coming in, get him swinging at air, get him tired. That's when Wyman could use his distance. And when he feels like the wrestling's there, when a Makamev commits to a punch too much, then go for it. Don't rush things. Um, you know, his gas tank has failed him a little bit. And I don't think it's because he has a bad gas tank. It's just that he rushes so much. And maybe that's because he's the former champion. He thinks he has to get off to a really good start or something. But he needs to take his time. And when he feels like things are coming, then take it. Uh, his right cross is going to be needed if he wants to stun him. Uh, you know, I always say this. Fighters with a great jab is good, right? Because it blinds the guy. You know, hurts the eyes a little bit. It could hurt the nose. But the right cross, whenever somebody comes forward, it lets them know, I got a little bit of power. I can put you out. And Wyman, when he fought Jacare Souza, who's taller, could give a little bit more trouble to Wyman at range. Um, Jacare wasn't able, you know, he got getting stunned with the right hand. That's the key for Chris Wyman. Take things that come to him. Don't force things. For Omar and Makamev, just pressure Wyman. Get him tired and he'll make a mistake eventually. And, um... That's, that's the key for him. Another thing I want to talk about this fight is the wrestling and the size. Amakam is a former welterweight. I don't think he's going to be undersized against Wyman. But if Wyman could take him down and be on top of him, I do think Amakam is going to cost him a little bit more gas. He himself is not known. Every fight that goes three rounds, he always has a very tired some third round Amakam. He always looks slower. He's easier to take down in his fights. He's been taken down by guys who aren't particularly great wrestlers. You could outpace him. So Wyman, what I think he's got to do is use that reach to carry him on the first two rounds. He's reaching size. Then the third round, you can start using your pace, right? There's no round left to put anything into. So the third round, you can start dumping your gas tank into. Um, and then Amakamev, you know, the thing is with Wyman, he kind of, I don't know, like Luke Rocco said it best. He kind of is like a little bit of like he has to be in control of the fight. And if he feels like he's not winning... He'll make a mistake. And Rocco, I think, was right. You know, Wyman couldn't keep him down. When Luke Rocco and Chris Wyman were fighting, he couldn't keep him down. He couldn't um, uh, establish his top control. He couldn't get Rocco being pushed back, things like that. And Wyman was kind of forcing things. In my opinion, what Wyman needs to do is, if you're getting pushed back, take your time. Throw the jab a couple of times. Fake, fake, fake. Move out of the way. You win the next one. Live to fight another minute. And, um, you know, patience is key. That's one thing uh, a very talented writer I enjoy, Jack Slack, says, you know, Wyman, all his wins come from patience. And with the wrestling, he needs to be patient enough to use it. Don't get caught. Don't do something stupid. Also, Amaka, he has a great wrestling game himself. You got to think, if you're Chris Wyman, you could get taken down yourself. And then you are going to be. If he gets taken down by Amaka, he needs to stay calm. Get up. Be patient about it. Maybe throw up a submission. Throw, uh, threaten some submissions. Threaten a sweep to get Amakamev to let go and then get up. Um, that's the key. One of my keys for Amakamev is to take Chris Weidman down. 
And then, you know, both of them have to be careful of their pace and their IQ. You know, Makamev has been, himself has been uh, a little bit susceptible to getting hit with big shots. And then my fourth point is to talk about the the competition. Uh, let me read to you who Amari Malcolm is from. Oh, I put this up. So this is who he's fought, Makamev. Three-round win over Ian Heinrich, which was close by the third round. Zach Cummins is beaten by decision. Tim Boshi is beaten by decision. Uh, draw with Marvin Vittori. Decision win over Abdul Razak Al-Hassan. Um, who else? Decision over Kyle Nook. And then his last loss was in welterweight against Alicio Dos Santos by third round KO. That was pretty messy. Um, that was probably because he kept throwing hooks and he got caught with a hook from uh, Dos Santos. And he ended up getting knocked out cold. But I don't think that's going to happen in this fight. Uh, he's showing a pretty good durability with his chin. Uh, meaning that he could take a shot very well. Um, so you got to look at the competition for him. For Chris Wyman, this is his last couple fights. Lost to the um, number one contender, Dominic Reyes. Lost to Jacare Souza. Beat a Kelvin Gastelum, who was the top five opponent at the time. Lost to Gegard Mousasi. In all these fights, he's shown some sort of um, technical ability to be able to keep up with them. Lost to Yoel Romero. Uh, Luke Rockhold, Vitor Belfort. He's beaten Vitor Belfort, Anderson Silva, Leota Machida, Mark Munoz. So all Damian Maya. He has a win over Damian Maya. So you got to remember the competition. Personally, um, I really hope Wyman wins. That will be great for him, you know, just for his career, just for himself. Not even for the division, just for himself. I really do think somehow, you know, Chris Wyman, I've always rooted for him. I always felt like there was always a way for him to win. He's always done really creative things. Like, for example, which really could be helpful against Amakamev is he'll, um, you know, like against Dominic Reyes, right? He was up against the fence. And Dominic Reyes uh, threw the left hand. Wyman ducked. As soon as he knew Reyes gave away his left hand, right? He can't retract and throw another punch. Wyman went for the legs, turned Reyes around, and took him down against the cage. Just like really creative stuff Chris Wyman will do. And he's always shown, and he's even, and then the thing is, he hasn't degraded from the guy who be who was the champion. In my opinion, he's even better than the guy who, who was the champion. You know, him back when he was like thirty two. But the thing is, is that um, he kind of always makes you know he's kind of let me down a little bit. Like he always makes like the dumb mistake in the last minute. And to me, like there's so many fights where he could have not made a dumb mistake, and he did. And, you know, I feel like he's let, lost, you know, he's kind of uh, last second, like he'll lose. Uh, you know, I hope it would be great for him to win. And I feel like he has all the ways to win. I've laid it out. You know, physically, he's probably bigger, longer, better, better striker. Wrestling may be questionable, but still a better striker, better jiu-jitsu guy, more experience. He has all, he kind of checks off everything to win this fight. But the thing is, is like I can't. It's so hard to count on a guy who's shown that he'll kind of choke or fall onto pressure in the last second. So I'm gonna pick Makamev to win. Um, to be honest, I'm kind of picking him just so then, you know, maybe my pick will be wrong and Wyman will win. I really want Wyman to win, but I feel like he's let me down 
all the time now. So I don't see why it's called different. You know, he has every ability to win, as I said. Main event, Lewis complicated. Derek Lewis versus Alexi Olenek. Derek Lewis fighting off Houston, Texas. 35 years old, 79-inch reach, 6'2". Alexi Olenek is a whopping 43 years old. 80-inch reach. He's an American top team fighter fighting in Coconut Creek, Florida. Um, one thing to note, Derek Lewis, very flexible. Throws a lot of high kicks, a lot of jumping kicks, flying knees. Um, and one thing I'd say that could be a big part of the way he could win this fight is his pacing is very good for heavyweight. He'll wait, wait, wait. He'll see that you explode. And then, you know, the heavyweights, right? They're trying to get their rest. And boom, Lewis will attack you then. He kind of has very good MMA psychology. He knows what everybody's thinking. One thing he's got to watch out for is he overcommits the strikes and he ends up in the clinch. And Olenek has a very good submission game. Very good rear naked choke. Very good Ezekiel choke. Ezekiel choke could be hit from the guard. He could be... Olenek could be mounted. He could be on the bottom. He could be on top. He can get this. It's when you kind of um, put your forearm on the back of someone's... Uh, your right forearm on the back of someone's neck. And then you kind of put your arms in a rear naked choke position. And you chop down with your left hand. And you're almost uh, crushing the windpipe of your opponent. So Olenek can hit that from many positions. It doesn't really matter. And then Derek Lewis, one thing that kind of gets him in trouble is he'll overcommit, end up in the clinch. And he'll almost kind of like let himself get taken down. Because uh, he, um, what's it called? He'll, his idea, I think. Is that he gets taken down. The guy does a lot of uh, passing the guard. A lot of work. Ground and pound. Getting a submission. They'll be squeezing the submission. Lewis, explo- Lewis explodes. Gets back up to the feet. And you can see the guys like. Oh. oh, And then Lewis will start to go to town on him. While he's tired. While he's resting. Right. Then they'll, sh- they'll try to take him down again. Out of desperation. And then Lewis will just kind of. Um, find his shots through there. And that could definitely work against Olenek. You know Olenek. Doesn't have a great gas tank. He kind of gets tired after the first round. His striking game isn't that deep. Uh, you know, he's um, very susceptible to getting hitting with knees, uppercuts. He himself only throws his right hand. And I think for Derek Lewis, if he just sticks to his high kicks, he could really win this fight because I think that Olenek, he will, Olenek's not the greatest at defending anything, really. Punches, kicks, or anything on the striking, in terms of striking. I think that Lewis will hit a lot of uh, big kicks. He should do this. And then Olenek will rush and then bang, Lewis will hit him. Um, the problem with Derek Lewis's usual strategy, where he'll let the guy kind of do his work on the ground, is that Olenek is not like the other guys he's fought. He's going to have a tough time getting out submissions with him. It could work to his benefit. If he could do it, that kind of seals the deal. If he could survive a submission, explode back to his feet, and just start hitting bombs on Olenek. That will really be a benefit to him. Because Olenek doesn't have really the durability or the gas to survive a Derek Lewis swarm. Um, and then, you know, Olenek, one thing you got to know is that he's not a position grappler. Meaning, like, Kamaru Usman has to be on top of guys. Habib Nurmagomedov has to be on top of guys. So they won't go for submissions in fear of uh, falling down, ending up at the bottom. Olenek will just, you know, he'll just... um. Go for submissions, which is very rare at heavyweight. You usually see that in lower weight classes, like 135 pounds, 125 pounds, 115. It's very unique. Um, I think I'm going to go with the underdog in this one. And it's a five-round fight. I don't think the five rounds going to matter. Derek Lewis has gone five rounds plenty of times. Then Olenek. Olenek is 
been scheduled for five rounds once or twice. I believe once at least against Mark Hunt. I don't think the gas is going to matter. I think um, when it comes to durability and whoever's tired is going to come down. Who's the more athletic guy? That's Derek Lewis. But I really do think Alexi Olenek has a way to win. I do think Derek Lewis will win, but it's not a bad idea to go by Alexi Olenek uh, via submission. I do think that Lewis is going to get very, um, how you say it, lackadaisical. Let him get himself get taken down. He's going to let himself be put in submission. Think that he could get out of it like everybody else. And a boom, he's going to be uh, in some deep trouble against Olenek. So my official pick is Derek Lewis, but I do think it's a good idea to go with Alexi Olenek via submission in your bets. All right, so I thank you guys for listening. I appreciate you all. You know, once again, please watch the fights. These guys do not fight for free. Um, these are, you know, these are great fights. You know, UFC keeps putting on uh, fights even during COVID time while everybody else is trying to catch up to them. And I just hope that, uh, you know, maybe I can make a difference a little bit and get you guys uh, listening a little bit. And a little bit, uh, not just looking at these guys wearing underwear and dry humping each other. Look at it as like, these guys are really skilled warriors putting it on the line. So uh, hopefully you enjoyed it and thank you for listening. Thank you for listening to the podcast. If you like what you were listening to, please subscribe to Fans Assemble. And if you can, please give us a rating. Do it for the audio world. They need you.